to getting salty, baby. Yeah, here's the getting salty. It's already salty. Nights. Nights. Nighttime. Nighttime. <laughs> nighttime. Nighttime. <laughs> Wait, how to take that out? No fucking way. <laughs> well, yeah, nighttime. For all you late night listeners out there, <laughs> things are going downhill. So your girl just got off an eight-hour shift, and we are not. Operating at full capacity for, anymore. For all you night, for all you night owls. Yep. The lovelorn, the mystery seeking. Yep. It's nighttime. It's nighttime. Nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sober. <laughs> nighttime. Night How are you this oh. evening, my lord? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Better now. That was incredible. <laughs> so glad you enjoyed that. This, I mean, this is the latest we've probably ever been up. <laughs> For me, anyways. It's One eight, of us. It's eight thirty-four. I am. We're. You're about an hour and a half away from bed, right? Past bed. Oh, this is the witching hour for oh, me. My. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you know how it is. Um, well, everyone, we are uh, back with a full app. We are after nope. after our Harry Potter mini series time. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like a wormhole. <laughs> I mean, like a what's the word? Like a like an earworm? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I mean like a like a like a weird like pocket in time that's just kind of okay. It was a strange like a fever dream. This is the word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it was a stretch, but we it got there. It was a stretch. We went. Down a different path. Yeah. That's okay. But now we're here. We're here. I'm cutting an onion. It's yep. just like the good old days. Well, I mean, to kind of keep with the late night theme, we decided to go with uh, some delicious comfort food this evening. Late night soup. Late night soup. <laughs> midnight. No, it's late night, late night soup. Midnight, midnight mushroom soup. Whoa. <laughs> Sounds like you're fucking putting it in a cauldron. Someone copyright that for us, please. Midnight, midnight mushroom soup. We might use it. We absolutely will use it. But yes, we're <coughs> making Anthony Bourdain's creamy mushroom soup recipe today. Which I'm, ex- I'm excited. I've made this many times. It's Have very you? good. Okay, it's very my solid. first time. How do I cut the onion? Um, I'm going to dice it. Dice it? All right. Yeah. I just wasn't sure. And I was like, oh, I can't go much farther than this or it's going to go sideways. I mean, the beautiful thing about this soup is that we're going to cook everything to soften it, but eventually we are going to use the hand blender to puree most of it. So. Oh, okay. Easy peasy. Yeah. Um, now, uh, before we discuss the topic of the day, mm-hmm. I do have some new business. <gasps> go on. Or technically it's old business. Go on. I uh-huh. started watching Yellow Jacket. <gasps> yes. I am but also six no. episodes in. It is. Is it not one of the most fucking disturbing shows you've ever seen in your f- life? So here's what I will say. Okay. Because um. How do I put this? So <laughs> I watch a lot of TV. I love television and movies. As Your culture vulture. Possibly the reason why we started this podcast so I could, you know, just scream into the void my opinions on all these things that I like to consume. But um, 
because of that, it, it takes a lot for me to be shocked by something I see on television, okay. like within the structural narrative of a, like a TV show where it's oh. all fiction and whatnot. It's too late to be using the phrase structural narrative. Okay. But go on, because I'm just you. impressed by that. So I am of the opinion that not every TV show needs to have a severe shock value factor. Okay. I don't, That's fair, I feel. I don't need things to be Squid Game all the time. You know what I mean? I like, never watched Squid Game because it sounded gross, but I, I understand what you're saying. I couldn't get into it. I don't think gratuitous violence on screen is necessary. I agree with you. However, if a like, show mm. manages to do it in a way that I'm not expecting, that really catches me off guard, and it's done in a way that I think is helpful to the plot, mm -hmm. I'm hooked immediately. And so from literally the first that first scene. five minutes yep the first fucking of the scene. pilot episode which by the way did you know the pilot episode was directed by karen kusama who also directed jennifer's body <gasps> an icon i know oh my god it makes no, no it sense right it, i mean it really does after yeah like that first i was i was i have theories. genuinely like i don't think i can continue with the show well, after for, that first for opening yourself scene. i just don't know how high your threshold is on seeing like Gore does that not bother me. Like, gore is not the issue. Um, blood and guts, not a problem. Um, bones, not a fan. Not a Broken fan of bones. Broken bones, can't do. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was more just the... I don't know. I don't know if it was, like, the music. First of all, the music is so Oh, the so score good. is impeccable. But, like, I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. There's just some... The direction, the... The music, the shots, I don't know, there was something that was so, like, viscerally disturbing to me that it wasn't even the gore that got me. It was just, there was this It's everything coming together. Yeah, this, like, and this just deep, unsettling kind of current of the show that just really got me right off the bat. And I think that further proves my point that, like, the gore doesn't have to be the one thing that makes it no, shocking. Oh, that doesn't have it, to be the scary part. If it's done well, it'll be a contributing factor to the overall, like, as you said, unsettling vibe of the show like mm -hmm. where you just you're watching and you're you're not relaxed no you're not there relaxed for a nothing, goddamn second <laughs> there was not a fucking thing relaxing about yellow jackets nope and uh yes anyway so i mean i know i'm incredibly late to the party but we weren't exactly early to the party when we watched it either. no that's fair pretty much every single person at my place of work has already seen the show and it is more than thrilled to come in and tell them that i had started it this past week oh man it's a doozy mm -hmm. it is really like one of the yeah i don't know there's just something about it that's so intense so intense are you uh let me add those are you onions be with the onions yes yeah. please so we've melted a quite a decent amount of butter into the big red here we're adding the diced onions Slice the mushrooms? Yes, please. Probably like quarter them, I would Quarter them? Say. Yeah. Can do, can or, do. Well, sorry, slice and quarter, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Um, okay, and speaking of things that we did earlier this week, <laughs> or this weekend. Or this weekend. I mean, being the queen of the segues that we are. We are impeccable at segues. I, uh, I turned 30. <gasps> And as Exciting. did one of our closest friends, we mere days apart. Yep. We graced our graced the world with our presence, mm -hmm. and um, we did a murder mystery party. We sure did, and it was a blast. It was very very fun until I suffered at the very end. But that's beside the point. And then had the worst hangover of my life. Also, 
Also, besides the point. But you know what? You really, you really it was did worth it. it, though. You partied like it was 1922 instead of 2022, and, and that's that, what we wanted. And that is it was exactly a 20s themed murder mystery. And so that has kind of informed our topic of discussion, which was your idea, and I'm excited about because we love a theme. We do love a theme. We love true crime. We love true crime. And everything is spookier in black and white. And we also love mystery. <gasps> Nighttime, nighttime, nighttime. <laughs> nighttime. <laughs> so, without further ado, we are going to announce um, this week's topic: unsolved 1920s murder, Mis- oh, murder, murder, or mystery. But I think we both chose some, I think we some variety chose. of murder. There is death involved in mine for sure. There is death involved in mine too, my lord. Oh, death involved. Well, I'm chopping these mushrooms. You want to go first? Yes, absolutely. Would love. Got your notes. Let me get them ready to go here. Oh, those onions smell good. All right. It's a soup night for sure. It is a soup night. Let me get some salt in here with the onions. Heck yeah. Okay. So, the story that I have chosen, well, not the story, the historical retelling of the Fatty Arbuckle case. That is what I'm bringing to the table today. Fatty Arbuckle. Hit me with it. Okay. Fatty Arbuckle, which interestingly enough, when I was looking this up, one of the headlines or one of the top articles that popped up on Google Mm -hmm. was from the New York Times. And it was basically, the headline was that the Fatty Arbuckle trial was the first ever real celebrity scandal. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So Fatty Arbuckle was possibly one of the most successful silent film stars of the time okay and this would be 1921 so like silent film was definitely like the most prominent form of media not the talkies not yet not the talkies quite yet no no big on the talking not big on the talking so he had a movie that was cut or that had just come out that was doing really really well called Mm -hmm. crazy to marry and one of his besties a guy named fred fishback decided to throw him a three-day-long party okay at the saint francis hotel in san francisco So (laughs) he decided, so Fatty Arbuckle, he takes a break from his hectic film schedule because at this point he had signed on for a 18 picture deal Uh with Paramount. Uh They paid him $3 million, which in essence would be about $47 million now. Too much money. That is the most amount of money. That is the most money you could ever have in 1921. And this is a fun fact. Um, despite suffering second-degree burns to both buttocks on an onset oh, accident, oh. <laughs> he drove to San Francisco with Fred and their other friend, Lowell Sherman. That sounds like a nightmare. You got like, a burned ass you and a burned ass. in a fucking Model T Ford bouncing oh, down a road. Oh my goodness. No, thank you. Not down. If you are ready to I'm add ready the, the, the shrooms, my lord. Oh, I'm ready. Let's be willing. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. Oh, no, you were doing that with your hands, and I'm not helping. Just push your little spoon in there. I got this. So, uh, let me see here. So, the three men checked into three separate rooms at the hotel. Well, yeah, no homo. So there was, oh, pardon me. So, sorry, uh, Fatty Arbuckle and Fred, they actually shared a room together. There was one more room for their third friend. And then actually the third room that they reserved was just a party room. Oh, well, you just know how it is. Just for the party. Just for the party. Just for the party. It's very uh, Gatsby of them. Yes. 
So several women were invited to the suite, naturally. And girls showing their bare knees. According to reports, during the carousing, uh-huh. a 26-year-old aspiring actress named Virginia Rapp was found seriously ill in Fatty's room. So at this point, she's feeling really, really gross. She's still lucid, but okay. feeling super sick. And so... Like throwing up and stuff? Uh... Or just, oh, ooh, all right, ooh, don't mm-hmm. want to jump ahead. So she's examined by the hotel doctor, which just kills me that, like, back in the day, they just had, <laughs> they had a hotel, hotel doctors. <laughs> and he concluded that her symptoms were mostly caused by intoxication. Ooh, from drinking gross and 1921 bathtub. Yep. And gave her a classic 1920s remedy for this ailment. What, like champagne? Uh, morphine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll that'll do it. That will get rid of almost any ailment for a moment. And it sounds like he gave her the morphine mostly just to calm her down, so... Why, because she was hysterical? Probably. So she was not hospitalized until about two days after she was checked on by the hotel doctor. So, like, she's not doing well, and she's just at home, like, suffering. And they're just like, well, you know. Well, she's you know how six, women are. She's had six <laughs> babies and no orgasms this year. Why is she sad? Why is she so sad? <laughs> Actually, she, Malora, she's not allowed to wear pants or vote. May need a bit more uh, butter. If you <gasps> might. I need a bit more butter. I'd be happy to. If you would. Nothing would make me happy. Mm-hmm. Just grab that little chunk of it. I do want to grab the, the chunk. We yep. will add that in. So we've got the Boop. shrooms softening in here. Add a little chunk oh, of butter. It smells so good. It does. I'm so excited for this. All right, so Virginia's suffering. All right, so she's suffering she's in suffering, succotash. She, she's it's suffering for days. For days. Which is kind of horrid, even after the doctor saw her. So two days after the incident, she gets hospitalized. And while she's at the hospital, uh, her oh, her companion at the party, a woman named Bambina Maud Delmont. Shut up. That's not a real name. I'm Bambina Maud Delmont. She sounds like a character from our murder mystery. She literally party. does. Anyone whose first name is genuinely Bambina, that's I mean next level. Uh so Bambina <laughs> told Bambina. a doctor that Betty Arbuckle had sexually assaulted her friend. No. Never good. Uh the doctor oh, examined cute. Virginia, but unfortunately her reports found no evidence of this. Mm. She died one day into Whoa. being hospitalized from peri Oh, peritonitis. Yeah, isn't that like a worse version of like appendicitis or something fucked up? Everything Let gets me all inflamed. Let clarify. So peritonitis is inflammation of the localized uh, peritonin, per- oh, peritoneum. Oh, um, your, your peritoneum. Um, which is the lining of the inner wall of the abdomen. Ew, okay, yeah. that sounds awful. Yeah. So uh, this peritonitis was caused by a ruptured bladder. Oh, no. Yeah, not great. Not great. Um, unfortunately, good. ooh, can definitely relate. Uh, Virginia <laughs> suffered from chronic UTIs. Okay, uh, I was very stressed out for a minute. Oh, can totally relate. Oh, I never told you about that time I got per- ruptured per- bladder and peritonitis when your your pandemonium ruptured. I'm so sorry. We, ha- we have a lot of respect for the dead. Just uh, <laughs> sometimes we get a little carried away here. So we're going to let the mushrooms continue to soften, and then when they look a little softer, I'm going to let you make the executive decision on when to put the chicken stock in there. Oh, all right. Mm. I can take this responsibility on. I believe in you. Thank you. Okay, back to Virginia. (laughs) 
<laughs> Unfortunately, she did end up passing away. Um, but <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Sorry, we're not laughing. We've just at her. gone downhill here. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so pomegranate garden. Place. Unfortunately, and like this does sound really like this really sucked for her. So she would get. <laughs> She fucking died. Oh, like no. Really no, she would get chronic <laughs> UTIs, oh, okay, and then we're back to she UTIs. developed a habit of like getting drunk at parties and then tearing at her clothes from like how uncomfortable she was due to the UTIs. Ooh. Yeah, like just on the whole, and really unfortunate. So, I'm Bambina. Okay, yeah, back to Bambina. <laughs> we're back to Bambina. We're back to Bambina. So, Bambina, of course, told the police about what she believed to happen between Fatty Arbuckle and Virginia, mm-hmm. and police concluded that the, oh boy, the impact of Fatty Arbuckle's overweight body lying on top of her had eventually caused her bladder to rupture. <gasps> no! Oh, yikes. Oh, no! So, I'm gonna... How can they say there was no evidence of sexual assault when his literal body cr- I mean, here's the thing. They said there was no evidence of sexual assault. However, I don't think anybody contested that the two of them were not alone together in that hotel room. Okay, so So, we'll take that with half a fucking tablespoon of salt. Now, it doesn't say exactly how heavy he was, but... I imagine pretty if he crushed someone. Pretty heavy. Like, Chris Farley comes to mind when I see pictures of him. Okay, so he's a big dude. He's a bigger dude. Bigger dude for sure. He certainly lived up to his name. Um, so... At a later press conference, um, Virginia's manager, a guy named Al Semnacker, accused Fatty Arbuckle uh, oh boy. Um, Uh we're getting into some slightly more graphic details content warning content if you don't warning. want to hear graphic content things warning click away now. um yes that he used um inanimate objects to simulate sex with her therefore leading to her injuries so that's I oh really no so he sexually hate. assaulted her with like an object with like objects yeah oh that's um, horrifying that is very 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 upsetting to hear now of course Fatty Arbuckle denied any wrongdoing. Naturally, he's never done anything wrong in his life. In fact, witnesses testified that he actually rubbed um, the piece of ice in question that was, you know, suspected of being involved in the assault. Um, that he used the piece of ice in question to actually rub it on her stomach to ease her abdominal pain. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't believe you at all. Um, how much chicken stock do it? Just to, over- to cover it? Yep. Okay. And on top of all that, Bambina <laughs> later made a back statement. Back to Bambina. Well, back to Bambina. Um, she later made a statement incriminating Fatty Arbuckle to the police in an attempt to extort money from Fatty's lawyers. Okay. Which never, unfortunately, looks great. No. No. This is true. Especially given the time. This is true. So the trial itself was a major media event. So. The story was fueled by what's known as yellow journalism. Um, so that's an, Amer- an, an American term for journalism that presents little to no legitimate, well-researched news, which well, we, we are sh- all familiar yeah, with in this day sure and age. We sure see a lot of that, don't we? Uh, it is the real 20s again, isn't it? Oh my god, everyone's <laughs> about to be disillusioned with the jazz age as a whole. Yes, yes, yes. So um, 
yellow journalism or yellow press as it was known uh focused instead on using eye-catching headlines for increased sales of newsprint hmm. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sounds familiar yes 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 so the newspapers all wanted to portray fatty arbuckle as a gross lecher who used his weight to overpower innocent girls William Randolph Hearst's nationwide newspaper chain exploited the situation with exaggerated and sensational stories. Um, Hearst actually was gratified by the profits he accrued during the scandal. And he later said that this, this whole scandal with Fatty Arbuckle and poor Virginia, who had mm -hmm. passed away, sold more newspaper copies than the sinking of the Lusitania. <gasps> Really random fun fact, but my great-great-grandfather is on the Lusitania. Oh, wow. There you go. How, do you know how he mm -hmm. got off? Well, no, it wasn't the time it sunk. It was when oh, he okay. Oh, God. I was, like, he was, I was like, on wow, the Lusitania. that's a fat... Hold the presses. Who up. cares about Fatty Arbuckle? I want to hear that story. It was before it sunk. It was I on see, one of the I crossings see. of the Lusitania. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So um, there were a ton of morality groups at the time who were calling for Arbuckle to be sentenced to death. Agreed. And the resulting scandal destroyed his entire career along with his personal life. Oh no, so sad. Fitting, fitting. So what exactly do we know about Fatty Arbuckle? Well, he was regarded by those around him as a good-natured man. Oh, of course, a pillar of the community. A pillar of the community and apparently quite shy around women. Oh, yeah, sure. He had been described as the most chaste man in pictures. Jesus Christ. Which, I mean, we all know how the... Hollywood PR machine works like if they wanted him to seem like a chaste man for the betterment of his movies I'm sure wouldn't be hard I'm sure fucking ridiculous so the studio executives who feared of course like the negative publicity mm. I mean so the movie that was doing really well at the time that this party was thrown um mm -hmm. crazy to marry it got yanked from every single theater it was being shown in okay so there were tangible repercussions happening in the wake of the trial and the scandal. Um, now, the, so yeah, so the studio executives, they ordered all of Fatty Arbuckle's industry friends and fellow actors to not publicly speak up for him. Okay. Charlie Chaplin was actually one of these people. So he was in Britain at the time. He told reporters he could not and would not believe that Fatty had anything to do with Virginia's oh, death. Oh, come on. He said he had known Arbuckle since they both worked at Keystone in 1914. Chaplin quoted as saying, he knew Roscoe to be a genial, easygoing type who would not harm a fly. Mm, we've heard that before. Uh, we've definitely heard that before. I mean... Um, another very famous actor at the time, Buster Keaton, yep. reportedly did make one public statement in support of Fatty's innocence, a decision which earned him a mild <laughs> reprimand from the studio where he worked. I'd be interested to hear if any women actually spoke up in defense of him. Well, you know women weren't allowed to talk back oh, then. Oh, that's so true. You're uh, right. Boy, it's so easy to get away with things I when you're know, man. It's crazy. Annoying. Now, this is actually kind of funny. Um, there was a different actor named William S. Hart who had never met or worked with Fatty Arbuckle, but made a number of damaging public statements in which he presumed that Fatty was guilty. Arbuckle later wrote a premise for a film parodying Hart as a thief, bully, and a wife beater, which Buster Keaton purchased from him. Oh my god. So it kind of sounds like the old boys club got together no and was shit. like, this guy's talking smack while well, we're going to ruin his life real quick with this movie about him. Jesus. Oh my goodness. So the incredible. film actually got produced and made. It was called The Frozen North. It was released in 1922, almost a year after the scandal first emerged. 
Keaton co-wrote, directed, and starred in the picture. <laughs> and after that, the actor William S. Hart refused to speak to Keaton for many years. I which, fucking I mean, did. quite suitable. Literally quite suitable. just dis- It was like, a, that's a 1920s diss track right oh, there. Oh my goodness. Jesus. It, yeah. So we don't really know. What is the truth? So, let me see here. I mean, he was definitely publicly ostracized, of course. But inevitably, he was acquitted. In trial. trial. In trial. He was acquitted. Yep. He was acquitted. So, the here's the thing. They ended up trying him three different times. What? The first two trials resulted in hung juries. Okay. But... Uh-oh. During the third trial, good old Buster Keaton got up and testified for the defense. And that was enough to acquit Fatty Arbuckle. Ah, bring a celeb, eh? And the jury wrote him a formal written statement of apology. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, okay. Despite the acquittal, of course, the scandal mostly overshadowed his legacy as a pioneering comedian. His films were banned by motion picture industry censor William H. Hayes after the trial. And as I said, he was publicly ostracized. Mm-hmm. There were a ton of these morality groups, as I said, the ones who were literally like demanding. Kill, the, kill him. They were like, kill him, kill him dead. Um, and they did not want any of that type of content to be shown in picture, like mm-hmm. in picture houses. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean... It is very interesting to think about that in the context of how in a few short decades you would have the um, intense censorship that was going on within Hollywood and was a very domineering, powerful force Mm -hmm. behind what people were allowed to see in movies. Right. Um, But... (laughs) Fatty Arbuckle did see a bit of a resurgence in his popularity um, immediately after his third trial. (laughs) But... Great Again, publicity. The uh, the president of Famous Players. Do you remember Famous Players? I don't know. Do I remember? That Famous was the old Cineplex. Oh yeah. yeah. So this guy, his name is Adolf Zukor. Um, he decided that Fatty had to be sacrificed to keep the movie industry out of the clutches of censors and moralists. <laughs> <laughs> He's the sacrificial lamb. Oh. Not so much a lamb, just a... Oh, yeah. So, um, the ban on his films was lifted within the year, but Fatty Arbuckle only really worked sparingly through the 1920s. Um, I mean, Buster Keaton really just went went pretty hard to bad for his guy. He gave, uh, he gave Fatty Arbuckle 35 cent... Sorry, 35% of his profit from Buster Keaton Comedy's company. So... What? Kind of... He's just Anytime Buster him. Keaton was putting, like, something out or yeah. wanted to help Fatty make a profit, like, he was just he's getting just 35%. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, he finally was able to return to acting. He made two short reel comedies in 1932 and 1933 for Warner Brothers. But in 1933, Fatty Arbuckle, at the age of 46, died in his sleep of a heart attack. Womp womp. Reportedly on the day that he signed a contract with Warner Brothers to make a feature film, which would have been his first in over a decade. Well, you know, when your number's up, fatty, your number's up. Yep. R.I.P. Just kidding. Rest in fucking pieces. Rest in fucking pieces. I find it very hard to believe he would be using a piece of ice shaped in that particular shape to soothe someone's raging UTI. Yeah. 
Ruptured bladder is not something you come by easily, I don't imagine. No, no, not at all. No. So, yeah, that is uh, that is a very abridged story. Un- still unsolved. Still unsolved. Acquitted, I don't buy it, but... And I have lost so much respect for Buster Keaton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Buster Keaton. Um, okay, so this smells incredible. What I do we do now? So we glad. just let the mushrooms cook We're going to let this simmer. Um, we're going to let the mushrooms get a little softer so that when we're ready to put the, uh, the hand blender in there. They actually blend? They actually blend. <laughs> this is going to be nice. When does the sherry go in? The sherry actually goes in um, after we blend, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I love that. All right. Well, listen. I'm listening. <clears throat> I got one for you. Are you ready? Maybe. Maybe? I'm ready. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Just uh, a baby. So this one, I'm just a baby. I don't have any money. That's fucking fatty arbuckle. Yep. Uh, so I found this one. Uh, it's called the Mila Flores Massacre. I don't know why my brain just was like, the Mila Kunis Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> this is about the Mila Kunis Massacre. A little known celebrity yeah. scandal. <laughs> no one knew about this. No, it's the Mila Flores. Okay. Uh... <laughs> I'm just thinking Mila Kunis as well. Sorry. Uh, so it's the name that was given to the shooting of three, count them, three gangsters Ooh. in retaliation for two murders two and a murders. kidnapping. <gasps> and a kidnapping. In the winter of 1927 Whoa. in Detroit, Michigan. The crime was suspected to have been perpetrated by the Purple Gang. Oh, that's... Quick little background. Exactly oh, yeah, the Purple the, Gang. Not exactly the most intimidating gang oh, name I've ever heard, it but... Gets uh, Does it get intimidating? No, it gets somehow less intimidating. Oh, the Purple Gang, also mm-hmm. known as the Sugar House Gang, it's not getting better. Was a criminal mob of bootleggers and hijackers compromised, compromised, compromised predominantly of Jewish gangsters. They operated in Detroit during the twenties of the Prohibition era and came to be Detroit's predominant. Uh, pardon me, dominant criminal gang. Excessive violence and infighting caused the gang to destroy itself in oh, the 1930s. Geez. Listen, there's one thing I can tell you about Gangsters. us as Jews. Yeah. No two Jews agree on anything. So if you're really getting into murder and extortion, it's going to be even worse. It's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, so they really kicked off um, when Prohibition began. Um... I'm trying to think. Let me just make sure here. Okay, so a lot of Purple Gang's core members um, kind of started up in the Hastings Street neighborhood in Detroit's Lower East Side, also known as Paradise Valley. Whoa. Gang members were mostly American-born children of Jewish immigrants, primarily from Russia and Poland, who had come okay. from the States, come to the States in the Great Immigration Wave of 1881 to 1914. Nice. Which is actually when my, one of my grandparents came over in that immigration. I a lot of, yeah, a lot of Kunis family content There is, here. yeah. The gang was led by the brothers Abe, Joe, Raymond, and Izzy Bernstein. Whoa. And just to tie it back again to my family, my great-great-grandfather was Isaac, also known as Izzy. Oh. But he was a seagull, though, not a Bernstein. Okay. Fuck the Bernsteins. Fuck the Bernsteins. Just kidding. Okay. If there's any Bernsteins Whoa. listening, especially because I'm talking about a violent gang. Um, by the Okay, so by the mid-1920s, the Purples, shortened version there, Mm-hmm. slash the Sugar House Gang, had formed a working alliance with former members of Egan's Rats. Egan's Rats? Egan Rat. Egan's Rats, oh, the see, gang. See, that's, uh, that's an unsavory fucking gang name. Right? I don't Gets, like goes that from at the purple all. Purple Gang to Egan's Rats. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> cool. 
Okay, so Egan's Rats, uh, specifically there were two members of this gang that they formed an alliance with, Fred Killer Burke Ooh. and Gus Winkler. <laughs> Watch out for Gus Winkler, you guys, he's going to get you. Uh, these two and a group of gangsters associated with them were responsible for distributing purple gang booze and handling any wet work that was oh, needed. I see. The trouble set the stage. It's 1926. It's Christmas night in night, Detroit. Night time. <laughs> Christmas nighttime, nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Johnny Reed, who's a saloon keeper, because mm-hmm. saloons were still around, I guess, yes. was shot with a shotgun to death <laughs> oh. <laughs> at the rear of his apartment building uh, on Grand- East Grand Boulevard. So Reed, the, uh, the saloon owner, mm-hmm. he was an ex-rat. Oh Again, hearkening back to Egan's rats, which we learned of just moments ago. Reed was an ex-rat and liquor agent for the Purples. The Purples. So he switched from the rats to the Purples. How could he do that? Which, fuck, dub- what, do you, what do you expect to happen? I can't believe this. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> Earlier in the year, he and his St. Louis friends mm-hmm. had gotten into a shooting war with a Sicilian gangster. Oh, God. Named uh, Mike DePisa. I don't want to fuck with Mike DePisa. No, I don't want to fight, fight with... <laughs> I don't want to fight with Mike, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> the X-Rats uh, defeated their opponent, mm-hmm. but Mike DePisa was assumed to have arranged Reed's murder in revenge. So the killer was assumed to have been... Frank Wright, did you just pop that mushroom halfway out of the pan there? Just slipped <laughs> yeah. around. Uh, was assumed to have been Frank Wright, who was a Chicago-based jewel thief, an all-around hood, according to this article. Okay. He was a hood. Who had recently uh, relocated to Detroit. So Wright, uh, the presumed killer, along with two New York burglars, Joseph Bloom and George Cohen, began kidnapping local gamblers for ransom. Ooh. Many of the people they snatched were connected with the Purple Gang. So they're snatching purple gang people. Oh, boy. Uh, and the foolhardy trio crossed the line, though, when they gunned down purple drug peddler Jake Weinberg. Jake Weinberg. Not Jake Weinberg, no! Oh, no! Uh, so they killed him in the North End. Okay. Not of Halifax, of Detroit. Thank you for uh, clarifying. You're welcome. On February the 3rd. Which is my mom and dad's birthday! Uh, oh, my God, I buddy. can't believe! In 1927. Okay. They were not born then. The Bernstein brothers, the Bernsteins, uh, they hired Fred Burke and Gus Winkler to avenge their friend. I just like, if I may for a moment, I just can't get over the fact that one of them's name is literally Killer and the other's name is Gus Winkler. (laughs) Fred Killer Burke and Gus Winkler. (laughs) With my, by myself. (laughs) He's Doonies. He is Doonies. Okay, so... uh, uh, Jesus, these names get so fucking bizarre. So Frank Wright, again, this killer, mm-hmm. uh, was lured into the open with the kidnapping of his friend, Meyer Fish Bloomfield. Oh, boy. So now we got a guy named Fish. <laughs> Winkler telephoned Wright and told him he could reacquire his friend in apartment 308 of the Mila Flores apartments. <gasps> Located at 106 East Alexandrine Avenue at 4.30 in the morning of March 28th, 1927, Frank Wright, Joseph Bloom, George Cohen arrived at the Milliflores, knocked on the door. As they did, the fire door at the end of the hallway opened. Three men opened fire. Oh, shit. With a concentrated volley of pistol and submachine gun fire. Like machine Tommy guns. Gun? Like, oh, blah, 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 my blah. God. Think season four of Peaky Blinders. We got Adrian mm-hmm. Brody on one end. Killian Murphy running oh. through a bunch of laundry. I'm so in. Oh, spicy. 
Very Somewhere crazy. Alfie Solomons is <laughs> bitching about something. Bitching about something and polishing his brass knuckles. Yeah, and then also being like, calling Tommy a sweetheart. Because <laughs> this is where we're at. All three of the gangsters fell to the ground. Not surprising. Nope. And the triggerman escaped down the back stairway oh, once wow. their weapons were empty. So Bloom and Cohen were dead. Naturally. You know, uh, apparently they had been so riddled with bullets, the coroner could not tell how many times they had been shot. Woof. Just like fucking baloney by that point. It's like more like Swiss cheese. <laughs> yeah, really like <laughs> disgusting. Oh boy. <laughs> Frank Wright was still alive despite <gasps> 14 bullet wounds. Yikes. Ew. When asked if he saw the killers, he moaned, the machine gun worked. That's all I can remember. <laughs> I fucking bet. He died of his wounds about 20 hours later. Wow. Uh, the shooting made multiple headlines in the local newspapers. But it was the first time mm-hmm. the Thompson submachine gun had been used in a Detroit gang. Wow. Or in, like, Detroit gang warfare. Warfare. Um, so when they searched apartment 308, the police found items implicating purple gangsters Eddie Fletcher, okay. Abe and Simon Axler, Joe Honeyboy Miller, oh. and John Tolsdorf. Good old John Good Tolsdorf. old John Tolsdorf. The day after the massacre, three Detroit police officers pulled over a car on Woodward Avenue, mm-hmm. arrested Abe Axler and Fred Burke. Mm-hmm. While both were suspected in the slaughter, neither was charged oh. for some reason. Nor was anybody very else. Very interesting. Very interesting. Neither was anybody else. Okay. So the incident sort of solidified the reputation of the Purple Gang in Detroit. So it was believed at the time that Fred Burke had been this machine gunner, okay. assisted by Purple uh, Hitman Abe Axler and Eddie Fletcher, a.k.a. The Siamese Twins. Oh. But nobody was charged, full stop. Like, it just, the whole case sort of... So, someone literally got, like, practically disintegrated by bullets. Yeah. And no one got charged. No one got charged. What? Because of, we can only assume... Crooked cops. And the Purple Gang. Oh, and the Purple Gang. Well, we can only assume the crooked cops are being paid by the Purple Gang. Well, yes. So... We have to assume. We don't know. We don't know. We can assume that it was these guys, but I mean, that's the first time a machine gun's been used in Detroit, like, street shootings, and it, they just know. disappear. I don't like it. It all just disappears. Like the bodies of these people who just got run through by these machine oh guns. Oh, God. It'd just wow. be like fucking confetti. Oh, yeah. Yes. Literally. Oy, oy, oy. Right? So, yeah. Wow. Isn't that weird? That is... I mean, it's not like spooky, like, did aliens do it? But maybe aliens did it. I mean... <laughs> Could have been aliens with the machine gun. Mmm, machine gun. Good machine gun. Mmm, <laughs> machine gun. Good machine gun. <laughs> I'll just repeat what you said. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I always find it really interesting when you, like, it, I don't know, you know, like, uh, you get real life stories of murders that just sort of disappear. Everyone's like, well, I don't know. We don't know who did it. It is one of those things where the further back in history you go, like, the more uh, common it was for things to just, like, kind of fade into, like... They're like, well, Yeah, and every police officer's like, well, you know... What can you do? What can you do? What did you expect? It was nighttime. It was nighttime. No internet. No (laughs) modern medicine. Like... (laughs) They just like, There's but they not just not much to be like, done. Figure it out. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like they knew, and I, maybe this purple gang just made it so that it they 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 didn't know. 
They were like, cool, if you know, we're going to have to kill you. So it's best if you don't know. I mean, I just... My one critique if they could oh, have. your critique of the purple gang okay i mean are there any purple gang members listening like please, i fucking hope not please don't leave any heads in my bed um but or kill us or kill us please don't do that either but it just i feel like maybe could have used a more intense sounding name like purple gang just like, yeah, what does that what even purple, mean i wonder what purple would have meant like what like purple what's the significance of purple sugar house even sounds kind of cool sugar house is well a little bit cooler the sugar house gang it kind of sounds like uh, the sugar hill gang though the rap group yeah yeah because the hip hop the hippie the hippie the oh hip hip pop it you don't stop you rock it to the bang bang boogie sit up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie the beat and i'll stop there okay. because i know all the words <laughs> and it's a seven minute song <laughs> oh wow yeah so what's uh Maybe what's the soup there so uh, we're gonna let the soup simmer for a little bit longer. Okay. And when we come back to you guys, we're gonna give you a very brief lesson in mm. sherry. Oh, I love that. Anka Chams. Anka Chams. Um, oh, I need to get my phone really quickly, sorry. You what? I just gonna get my phone so I can do a little uh, Oh my god. I mean, I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Anka Jams. I mean, I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Anka Jams. Anka Jams. It's Pisces season. Uh, I would like to address yeah. the masses because you've served me soup in a cup, in a mug. <laughs> and Just to get that real cozy late night feeling. And that's, I mean, it's again, so now we're like two hours past my bedtime. <laughs> 9:35. We're really pushing it tonight. We're pushing it, but you know what? I've, I'm cupping a the pod. I'm cupping a mug of soup, and I'm a tiny mouse in oh. a little tree stump. That's my house. Drinking out of a thimble. Drinking out of a thimble. Mushroom soup out of a thimble. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there was a bit of soup on the edge of my cup, and I just licked it off. Except you like cupped your whole mouth over the edge of the cup, like. It's good. It's great. I'm so happy this is a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should probably just make YouTube videos uh, instead of a probably podcast. Should. Probably. Alrighty, guys. So because the recipe for this soup called for some oh, sh- sherry. Sherry. I thought we could have sherry. <gasps> wow. I know. Oh my god. However, I will say I do really, really like sherry. Um, I'm going to explain to the listeners exactly what it is because and it's also not to your friend Delaney. Really, also to you. <laughs> but uh, sherry, I think, is uh, is an alcoholic beverage that I think has really aged out of what's popular. Um, every time I mention to my dad that I like sherry, he kind of huffs and goes, "Ugh." My grandmother liked sherry. Wow, you're getting roasted by Kate Tilly. Uh, it's a regular occurrence. <laughs> okay, judge not, Kirk. Judge not. Judge not. So what is sherry, Delan? That's a great question. Sherry. Sherry, baby. I was trying to remember how the rest of it That's all I know. I couldn't, I couldn't help you. That might not even be um, how it goes. All right, everybody. So sherry is a fortified wine mm. made from white grapes that are grown near the city of Jerez de la Frontera. Ooh. In Andalusia, Spain. Oh, I definitely did not pronounce that correctly. It looks very dark for white grapes, Ray. What's going on? I know it's crazy. What's so, going on? when white wine is aged, sometimes this can 
turn the color like a bit more brown or tawny and it's very important for me to clarify um, there are many different styles of sherry and types of sherry and what we're enjoying today is a cream sherry okay so um very very quickly cream sherry is the general name for a more like sweetened sherry okay so that's produced by blending a dry wine like a montadillo that's the type of grape or oloroso mm -hmm. with the naturally sweet pedro jimenez or moscatel wines this, so the label on this says established 1781 like th this is a very very old style so of making wine when i think fortified wine. i think it's got all your vitamins and minerals so but this, i don't think that's what that is no <laughs> this particular um producer is uh called romate mm -hmm. and it's a family-run house that as you just pointed out uh, has been doing, or producing fine sherry since 1781. Wow. So yes, they've been around for a real long time. That's wild. Um, the key factors in crafting this wine style are the white soils, the Andalusian sun, and the native grapes, which are Palomino, Aaron, and Pedro Jimenez. The production process for sherry is long and relatively complicated with many steps. So we're not obviously going to go through all of them today. <laughs> but... They combine traditional and modern techniques in order to create a consistently quality product. Okay. So, yes, as we said, um, this particular cream sherry, nut brown Ooh. in color with pronounced aromas of sweet baking spices. Do we get oh, this? Oh, yeah. It smells like vanilla. It definitely smells very, very vanilla. -y. Vera vanilla. Vera vanilla. Vera vanilla. Vera vanilla. My name is Vera vanilla, and this is my friend Bambina. <laughs> Maud de Mont. <laughs> oh, I'm pimping Maud de Mont. Maud de Mont. <laughs> this is my friend, gal pal. My gal pal, if you will. Yes. Vera. Vera Vanilla. Vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, again, just to quickly clarify, sherry, fortified white wine. So, white wine that has intentionally been aged so that the alcohol content is a lot higher. Ah. And ours is nut brown as it has been it allowed to oxidize. Ooh. Yeah. That's very cool. So, typically, oxidation in white wine is usually an indicator that your white wine has aged for too long. So, like, okay. if you pour out a Chardonnay and it's starting to look really caramelly, it's too old. you may want to give it a little taste test before you really jump in there. Down or back. Um, I love the color. It's really pretty. With this one, sticker in the back. it is 17% alcohol content. Holy shit. So when we say fortified, I mean, it's obviously not as strong as a spirit, but your typical not white wine is off. about 11 or 12%. So this is 17. All right, let's give it a whirl. Yeah. Oh, cheers. Ah, satisfying. Yes. Oh, wow. I get why grandmothers like sherry though. That goes down real smooth. That literally tastes like like, like a dessert, like vanilla syrup. Yeah. Like with a little burn in the back. Yeah, well, it's got like a little heat going down the yeah, old pipes there. Yeah, I mean, there's... it is 17%. But I always like, um, I feel like in every kind of like old timey movie, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, all I'm thinking of is It's a Wonderful Life. It's like <laughs> someone has like a little, a little dapple of sherry before bed, you know, to warm you. Tipple. A little tipple. A little tipple of sherry. Exactly. But that's like, that's exactly what that is. This is like a nightcap, like, you mm. have just a finger of it in the bottom of a glass and it, mmm. Now, the styles of sherry that I'm typically used to drinking are not as oxidized and not as, like, intentionally sweetened. That's so good, though. This is quite nice. So this is my first time trying you this particular one. tanked on you that could, really you know fast. It probably wouldn't take you very long, either. Well, not after the weekend I had. Now, um, 
Yeah, you've also put it in soup. Yeah, where we've added it to the soup, I'm actually quite pleased just in the sense that the soup itself is very savory and salty to mm. begin with. And so to add this sort of sweeter, creamier note is going to help offset those flavors a bit and make them more rounder. I'm excited to try it in the soup because I like, I'm low-key very obsessed with this. This is very delicious. Do you like? I love. Oh. I love. Let's try the soup. Mm. Oh, yeah. That and might think, be the perfect mushroom soup. It's so good. And the little bit of sweetness is kind of nice. Yeah, because I think if we didn't have it, it would be almost like... It would be more like a over, sauce. <laughs> yeah, it would be like overwhelmingly savory where you're like mm -hmm. a few bites and you're good. But yeah. with it, with that sherry kind of cutting it, it makes it a little bit smoother. Oh, a little bit yum. less. And with a little glass of sherry on the side, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, we've had a hard night of solving, but also not really solving 1920s murders. And also laughing at our own jokes which is as per usual cheers to that my friend uh, cheers <laughs> and with that i'll bid you good night midnight because <laughs> it is nighttime nighttime it is nighttime nighttime <laughs> oh my god never Jesus gonna live this down never oh I'm my Nighttime. Me and Julia Fox, we both have our own crosses <laughs> to bear. <laughs> You're my news. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add? No, my lord, I think we've covered it all. Let's enjoy our cups of soup. Let's cup, we'll cup our mugs and look wistfully out the window. I like how we both did it. No one can see us. No, this is not, again, we reiterate, this is not a visual medium. Oh, fuck. All right. See you next week. Thank <laughs> you.